Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Out of Grief Comes Art, the podcast by Grief Dialogues. I'm one of your hosts, Hallie Williams, and today I also have with me our other host, Elizabeth Copeland. Hello everybody. And today, Elizabeth is actually in New York with our guest, Claudia Coonan. Before we get into our show, I wanted to just give a quick thank you to two of our sponsors today. The first one being People's Memorial. So this podcast is sponsored in part by People's Memorial Association, the trusted resource and thought leader for funeral choice, education, and advocacy in Washington State. PMA is the oldest and largest memorial society in our country. For 83 years, this nonprofit organization has been helping people make informed decisions through their classes, free legal resources, and planning tools. Please visit their website at www.peoplesmemorial.org to learn more. I also want to give a thank you to our sponsor, um, Boan. This episode is sponsored in part by Boan, finding final rest for those you love where they love to be, specializing in funeral services, memorials, and scatterings at sea or on public lands. Visit boan.net, that's B-O-A-N-N.net to learn more. All right, so let's get into today's episode again we have claudia coon in here i'm going to let elizabeth give a little bit of a background right this is um this is such an honor to have oh, claudia yeah. on the show because claudia was, <clears throat> has been with grief dialogues since the very beginning and just briefly we met at an adec conference in portland oregon in 2017 adec stands for association of death education and counseling yep and we met there with at this, and I also met at that particular conference, Bob, Dr. Bob Niemeyer, who's on the board of Grief Dialogues now. And so Claudia and I, we hit it off. We had a lot of fun together. Yeah. And then when I had opportunities to perform Grief Dialogues on the East Coast in P- Pittsburgh and, and so forth, Claudia has been the, the talkback moderator after our show on grief counseling. And yeah. I know we'll talk a little bit more about that, but we've been close friends and colleagues since 2017 we're recording this live from hudson new york where it's an absolutely gorgeous day out here so oh my gosh. welcome claudia thank you so much for doing this it's an honor and a pleasure to, to have you here so um Hallie, you just take it over oh okay um i want to say to all of our listeners that i love what claudia has created uh, because for the past few years, we've used a lot of her resources as research for ourselves and research that we provide to you guys. So um, I will be linking all of her stuff in, uh, you know, at the, in our podcast when we list it. But when you guys click on it and see, I'm sure if you have followed us, you will be like, oh, I recognize this work. And it's awesome. It is some of the greatest grieving tools I think that we... Elizabeth and I could recommend recommend off the muscle. Like if we were talking to you on the street or over coffee and you said, do you have anything? We This would probably be one of the first things that we would send over. So, yes. okay. Hi, Claudia. Hi. <laughs> How are you today? I'm great. It's so wonderful to have Elizabeth here and to be able to spend an extended visit with her in addition to being on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Usually we, we're email buddies. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not there with them, um, but I wish I was. You guys are just enjoying it. looks like it's sunny there. So um, well, gorgeous. Just gorgeous. So we clearly know all about, um, I mean, all of your work and your artistic creativity abilities but i'm gonna read a quick little bio about you and then i would love for you to share your grief story and um i guess maybe your own version of what you do in your words so 
just very quickly, guys, Claudia Kunin is a creative grief counselor and certified, okay, let's try, thanatologist. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, she specializes in developing coping and processing strategies to help families and individuals through life's most challenging transitions. Claudia is also the author of two books, but I think it's actually almost three books, and the creator of Karuna Cards. All right, Claudia. How did how did it? So, so where do you want me to start? I mean, I think I think I'll actually start with creativity because okay. um, I have always been a creative person, and I have always used creative expression to express what I was feeling mm. um, to make things. Now, I have never been a visual artist. I've oh. always been a dancer and a music and a, and a musician. So I never did art on paper. In fact, I actually, my inner child had a very strong, I can't draw a button. That was, you know, from, from being a very young child. Yeah. So okay. I had, I grew up in a very creative um, atmosphere. My parents were friends with actors and artists and my best friends, parents were artists or actors or musicians or dancers. Got it. And I started dancing when I was three and I started playing music when I was nine. Um, professionally. So uh, dancing, um, you know, was the typical going to ballet school and doing recitals. But by the time I was in high school, I had discovered modern dance and was becoming a choreographer. Oh, my gosh. So I was also a performing musician with my family. So I was expressing my emotions through song. At that time, it was folk music. But I was always seeing the link between people's lives and the travels that they made, the immigration that they took maybe from England to Appalachia. And you could see music moving from one country to another, yeah. and then it would be reshaped and then go back to Europe in a different way. Oh, and that always fascinated me, like, because I was very much interested in how people relate to one another. Uh -huh. And yeah. when I was a choreographer, my dances were about relationship and about stories that we tell each other. So Whenever I've had difficulty in my life, and I've, you know, I'm, I'm have had quite a number of things that have happened. A couple of them have been quite devastating. I automatically go to creative process. Mm. That's my go-to thing, and that means that my primary thing throughout my whole life has been journaling. So I've always processed my emotions, my life, my challenges, and also written down what my philosophy of life might be in my journals. And I also used to engage with this debate with my great aunt Hilda in France. Okay. We used to debate in on onion skin letters, airmail letters, about the nature of creativity because I proposed when I was a teenager that everybody is creative. Yeah. And my aunt Hilda said, no, that's not true. We're both right. Yeah. Because what Hilda was talking about is not everybody can become a Picasso or a Martha Graham yeah. or a Balanchine and, you know, become, you know, really be able to create work that everybody will want to see, will want to view in a want museum enjoy, or listen right. in a concert hall, right? But I wasn't talking about that. I was yeah. talking that about how everybody has an innate ability yes. to think creatively, to think outside the box, to look at things from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And... I didn't, I mean, when I go back and I look at journals that I wrote when I was, you know, in my 20s, yeah. this theme is there. Mm -hmm. And the other theme that was that was present, which was surprising when I went back to sort of mine my journals, when I started to write my book, my first book, is that the theme of wholeness was also something that had concerned me from a very young age. What is it that makes us whole? Oh. What is it that makes us complete? What is it that makes us sort of more than the sum of our parts, which I learned later was actually a humanistic psychology viewpoint that you know the idea of self-actualization is proposed right. by, by 
Abraham Maslow. Oh, so, I was about to say, I, I, that sounds Maslow-y to me, but I am not, yes. I am not super educated in this. So, right. Okay. And I wasn't cool. either, but I had this innate sense that we could come up to a higher potential. So, okay. In 2000, I, I married, I, I was a choreographer in the city and then I was a choreographer in the country. And you've and always I been married. in New York? Pardon? Have you always been New York-ish? I've always lived in New York, okay, yes. Okay. But I've always lived not in New York City. I lived in New York City for a period of time. Mostly I've lived up in the country. Yeah. So I married and made a family. So I created children with my husband and we, we had yeah. to create a house because it was we bought this old ramshackle house and it needed to be created into something better and bigger and yep. you know nicer for us. Yeah. A nice family home. And at the same time, I continued to dance well into my 40s. And then it really began to hurt too much. Mm. And I started a catering business. So I had sort of like backstage creativity. No way. I had this catering business and I, I created productions, like a stage production, I created weddings. And um, so I did that. And oh I was my in the middle of doing, uh, <laughs> I was in the middle of building this business. Yeah. Meanwhile, my kids were growing. My oldest had gone off to college. My second child was in high school. My third child was in middle school. Yeah. And my husband was working crazy crazy hours oh. and it, i said to him i think you're i think your job is killing you yeah and something happened where he began to feel like everything was untenable and he went to his bosses and he said i'm going to lose my family i'm going to lose my life i can't do this anymore and they said look you know what we're going to send you and your wife on a vacation oh so okay all expenses paid we wow. just have to go somewhere where we have a facility you don't have to go to work but we'll just write it off so we had never left the kids home alone before, but of course they were 20, 17, and 14, and okay. my sister and his sister lived yeah. nearby, and the kids were like, don't, just go, mom, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, right, so, exactly. Right, so Albie turned 50 on a Friday, and I went out to, to Chloe's college and picked her up and brought her home after her sophomore year was finished. Uh -huh. Saturday night, we had a birthday party for him. Okay. Sunday morning, which happened to be Mother's Day, we left to go to New Mexico. Okay. And... My idea was I'm going to help him get completely relaxed and then maybe yeah. take the first couple of days to do that. And then maybe on Wednesday, we'll go up to the hot springs. We were going to go to Ojo Caliente. Oh, yes. These beautiful hot springs up there. And then oh, in the afternoon, we'll sit down and I want to lay out everything about our lives and say, let's change it. Yeah. Whatever we need to do so you don't have to work 100 hours a week because this is crazy. Yeah. So he died Tuesday night. So... <sighs> Oh. He had a heart attack, and there I was in New Mexico. By the time the EMTs came, by the time they'd given the oxygen, and by the time they were ready to take him away, it was 11 o'clock at night in New Mexico, and I'm making phone calls, but I don't want to wake up my kids, but I also want to be the one that's going to tell them. Absolutely. So we come up with this plan where my sister and his sister are going to go to the house at 6 in the morning before the younger two go to school and walk in the house, and then I will call them and tell them myself. So as you can imagine, our whole life, our whole lives were completely disrupted. Although I wanted to make sure that their lives were not. Right. Abs absolutely. Uh, you know, I wanted, yeah. wanted them to go to college, Chloe to go back to school, Evan to go to college, Ilana. So we, we did yeah. that. I made that happen. Good. I continued the catering business, but my sort of, my heart kind of went out of it a little bit. And I, as a, as a sudden widow, yep. went to what I know how to do, which was to journal furiously and to yeah. 
to um, embroider and to dance out my feelings, to take long meditative walks in the woods to try to clear my head and, and move the grief in my body. Mm. And I even took paper and began smearing my feelings on the paper mm. without caring about what it looked like. So I started to actually do work on paper and do collages. Didn't matter, once I was finished, I tore it up and threw it away. But it was all, for me, it was all about the process. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. that summer, I got this idea maybe I could become a creative grief counselor. But I had no idea how to do that. And what and that meant, thinking, really? Like, I mean... Right, how do you do that? Right. And also, it was very long since I had been in college. Yeah. And I was 51 years old. And uh, the idea of having to go and take the GREs or sit for some entry exams for grad school and have to, you know, do yes. math problems, or like there's, there was no way. And then also, looking at different programs, I didn't want to be a social worker. I mean, I really have a lot of respect for social workers, but I don't want them to have to learn how to navigate the Medicare system or Social Security or, you know, all of those things that social workers sometimes have to do. They have certainly have to know about that. And I also didn't want to be a general therapist. And when I looked at the therapy programs, you could see that there were two or three years of study. And then there's like 5,000 hours of supervision and you have to do all this stuff. And I just didn't really want to do that. I figured I have to find a way to do what I want to do and just focus on grief. Yeah. Mm. So I went back to school. I got found a transpersonal psychology program, okay. which is a branch of humanistic psychology. It was not a grief counseling program, but I put everything through, like I forced yeah. every class through the lens of how to come back to wholeness after you've, your life has been shattered. <laughs> and my professors allowed me to do that. And then at the same time, in the second year, I went to Brooklyn College for a grief counseling certificate. And then the director of the program, um, Dr. David Balk at the time, had been a president of ADEC and a vice president in the treasury. He'd been, he'd been on the board of ADEC for a long okay, time. And he right. said to me, if you are going to become a grief counselor, you have to join ADEC and you have to go for their certificate and you have to present at the conference. Oh, wow. Okay. So I said, okay. And I did. Oh. I did present the first year. Okay. I went and they had a, that you could present a personal story. So I presented from widow to grief counselor. Okay. And talked about my journey of why I was going into this field. Okay. And that was my first ADEC conference. Nice. And I, I've gone quite a number of times. I have a pact with myself. If I'm not accepted to speak, I won't go. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they usually accept me this past year, they didn't, and so I didn't go. Okay. <laughs> so okay. Hopefully, they're hopefully, they're so hopefully next year I'll be able to present on the new book and, um, you know, we'll take it from there but right. so that's how I got to where I am okay and so um, oh go ahead. ahead oh sorry we have that like two second lag guys through <laughs> through our call okay so then so with all of that being said your first what would you say was your first creation of grief and what did that happen before you were I mean because you said you were doing all of these amazing things to, to I wrote this down move the grief in your body I love that. So you yeah. were doing all of these kind of, you know, things that you would rip them up and then get rid of them. But what was the first thing that stuck beside, and was it before or after you became a grief therapist, counselor? Excuse I would me. say that, that the first tool, creative tool that I developed, okay. yeah. I did while I was learning how to be a grief counselor. So after okay. I graduated from Brooklyn College and I was, um, had graduated from the uh, master's program at, at uh, the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology, I was always, I started counseling. I got a job in a, in a hospice in New Jersey. Okay. And so I would, you know, present my creative ideas. And there was a lot of resistance, actually, with the upper echelons of the staff at the hospice. Really? Um, 
fact, my colleague, who is the full-time um, hospice, uh, the full-time bereavement counselor, actually said to me at one one time that people in New Jersey aren't creative, which is the what? most ridiculous what? thing I ever heard in my life. Are you serious? Yes, it was, no. it was a crazy statement, and I just sort of oh. rolled my eyes at her. But she was like, because I would say, okay, we're going to have a support group, let's do collage. She's right. like, well, nobody wants to do that. And then I would try it, and people would love it. Sure. So yeah. in my individual work with, with um, the survivors of bereaved um, families, I was often suggesting journaling because that was what I knew had worked for me. And I know it doesn't work for everybody, but it can be a good way of Absolutely. dealing with certain things. Like yeah. a client might say, oh, you know, I, I just did this thing. I wish I could tell my father about it. And I would say, you actually can tell your father about it. You could write a letter to your father. Right. Or you could write about it in your journal as if you were telling him in your journal. Yeah. Um, and so people would say, well, that's a good idea, but I don't know where to start. So I wrote down a few little prompts on slips of paper. And when they would say, I don't know where to start, I would pull out these little slips of paper and fan them out and say, here, pick one. Oh. And they would pick one. And I say, that's your homework till I come back next week. Wow. Use this prompt oh. to write in your journal. I love that. I might do that for myself. I need that. It's a really right cool way of doing it. And so then I decided that they should be more substantial than slips of paper. So okay, I yeah. tried to figure out how to make cards out of them. And I tried, I made like 20 different prompts. Okay. And most of them were journal prompts. They weren't all, but most of them were. And I tried printing them out on business cards, you know, those mm -hmm. kind that you yes. feed through your printer. Have you ever done that? It, it, yes. It's all askew. Right. That, oh, so I, I so know. I, yeah. So <laughs> I got to the point where I was using these really frequently. And so I finally went to a printer and mm -hmm. had them printed up. By that time, there were 40 prompts. Mm -hmm. And now by this time, it expanded to just being some open-ended questions. Some of them were um, stimulating your imagination. Some of them are looking towards the future. Like, here, actually, here's one. What do you envision for your future? Find some pictures that represent somewhere you'd like to go or something you'd like to do or even be in the future. Collage oh. them into your journal. Add some powerful words to go with these pictures. How can you manifest this future vision? Vision. So this is like that's one of the prompts oh. from the Karina cards. Ah. So, um, so then I lost my job at the hospice, oh. and I had about a week of feeling very depressed because I didn't really want to stay there for more than five years. I was a little more than three and a half, and I just didn't like it that they told me I didn't have a job anymore. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I get to that. Want to say I'm leaving, right. but anyway. Um, I thought to myself, I had been journaling, so had so many journals from the time that he had died until that point. And I thought, you know, I had wanted to write a book. I'd investigated how, I'd looked up different things. Somebody had given me a link to a course on how to write your book proposal, and I kept brushing oh. it aside. But I finally said, you know what? I, I don't have a job. I might as well Maybe do it now. I'll write my book. Right, yeah. So, yeah. So I. I decided to really put myself out there and and um and this one is shattered starting, by grief this is shattered by grief shattered, shattered by, by grief. grief picking up the pieces to become whole again yes. and this book has um a lot of my own story in it okay and then stories from clients that I've worked with and then it also presents what I'm calling the whole process which is to look at the word whole as um different aspects of grief so w is what happened and who am I? Because oh. there's always sort of a, an identity crisis when you lose somebody. Yep, yep. Um, H is help. How do I do this? Which which is looking more at the practical things that we need to do to get ourselves through grief. Always opening to emotions. So that deals with all of the emotions around that we feel and, and how to process them. And also to allow them to flower because they need to have space. Mm -hmm. And L is 
learning to live fully again. Okay. So that's beginning to start to look at what my life is going to be now uh -huh. that I have lost this person. And then E is exploring the past to experience the future. And that is where we think about the continuing bonds. Mm. You know, what is it about my husband that made me who I am now? Our yeah. relationship turned me into the person that I am. And what parts of him might I want to bring forward? And what parts of myself do I want to enhance? And how do I want to change and shift my life as I go forward? Now, each of those wow. letters, that's incredible. Each of those letters, are they sequential? Do they need to happen sequentially? Because I can just tell you. No, not at all. Good, because great. I'm all over the place. I am not spelling a proper word right now. But I right. so, <laughs> Absolutely. And this is something that's really important to remember because everybody... Most people who don't know very much about grief models know about the five stages of grief. And people yeah. tend to think that that is meant to be a linear path. Uh -huh. And I have, I have, and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross never said it was linear. She actually says many times in her books, that this is not linear. You don't have to do all of these. You don't have to do them in order. You might find yourself doing two or three at the same time and none of the others. Mm -hmm. And um, so... It's the same thing with, with this, You anything that comes up for you. And I tell people when they look at this book, you don't have to read it from cover to cover. You can just open it up wherever you want. What and you if mean, you're dealing right. with emotion, then go ahead and read that chapter. Yeah. You know, so yeah, there's no linear way to go through this. I have a, a question because I know yeah. a, a lot of our, our listeners, a lot of people who you know, read our pages on Facebook under the Greek Dialogues, they are newly grieved. And mm -hmm. some of them, a lot of them have children that are still depending on them. So uh, I love the idea of writing this book and so forth, but you've got three kids that also need you. So how did this book happen when you had this whole other component? Yeah. Well, it didn't happen then. Okay. It didn't happen then. It happened 10 years later. Ah, okay. Yes, but so I, I have to say my ears and my heart really perked up when you were sharing your grief story and you said, you know, it's really important to me that we, it didn't disrupt their lives. And that is huge, huge, huge for me personally. You know, as I navigate my very recent grief, you know, I'm looking at my kids thinking, oh my gosh. I mean, there's so many, there's so many sides to that, to, to that right. bundle of grief with your children. Like I want to protect them. I want them to know what's going on. I want them to feel empowered, but I do want them to be vulnerable and emotional. You know, I, I recognize that my energy is rubbing off on them. So there's a whole other layer as, especially I feel like as a mother or, or as a parent where you're very aware, you know, like I am cranky and grieving and grumpy and I shouldn't rub this off onto my four-year-olds. But also, at the same time, it's real, and so we can explain it to them even when they're yes. before. And, and I think, I, I mean, we definitely exactly. have to pull it in to a certain extent. But I also felt very strongly when they were when they were around a lot yeah. that that I had to kind of model how you can have a tragedy in your life and you can still go to an off Broadway show and and laugh your head off for a while, and then you come go back home and cry. Um, Absolutely, that, that's yeah. that's how we how we get through it. Mm -hmm. So I know we don't have a lot of time, but I do want to tell you about the other two books. I was yeah, I was just about to ask. Go, I mean, go ahead. What would you like? The to speak second of? book that I wrote is called the Creative Toolkit for Working with Grief and Bereavement, and this one is directed more towards practitioners. Yes, because most therapists, nursing programs, medical programs don't learn anything about grief at all. Mm -hmm. So the first part of the book is basically a discussion about how you need to tend, your, tend to your own grief if you're going to help other people, yeah. why creativity is important, and then a primer on grief theory from the very beginning all the way through my favorite models, oh, which wow. include meaning-making, pan grief, the dual process model, um, somatic 
uh, ways of working with grief, creativity, all these different things. And then I look through different lenses as well. And then the second part of the book has 30 activity sheets that anybody who uses this book can photocopy and use. Okay. And there are instructions that are written sort of as if you were a therapist, but anybody can use this. They're, yeah. they're available for anybody. I was going to ask that. Yes. Yeah. Your audience typically is therapists, but when I read them, I... I anybody can use them. And part of, partly that's because my editor at Jessica Kingsley Books, who is my publisher, yeah. said that the books for practitioners sell more than books for lay people. So that's why, they're, that's why they have that focus. So the new book also will have that focus. And again, it will be accessible to anybody. Okay. The new book is, is not only by me. Uh -huh. I have 16 contributors, and Elizabeth is one of them. I was going to say, we have, a, we have a contributor here live <laughs> yes, from New York so City. Dr. Niemeyer has graciously mm -hmm. um, offered some poetry. I actually asked him if I could use one of his poems, and he sent me 27. Yes. <laughs> that sounds like him. He's amazing. Them, and he also framed the way that we're going to approach this book. Um, one of my contributors is a nature psychotherapist, and when she wrote to me, she wrote, wrote about the life cycles of grief. Yes. And the life cycles of life. And so that's the theme of the book. We're looking through the seasons. Mm. And so as Bob framed it, autumn is letting go. Ooh. Winter is in stillness. Okay. Spring is awakening. Uh -huh. And summer is in fullness. And then every contributor was invited to decide where their technique, their creative technique could fit in which season. Now, of course, wow. in, in sort of similar to your question, do you have to go you know, from the beginning to the end? Yeah. You can journal in the summer. You don't have to only journal in the winter. Yeah. And you, you know, you can work with your body in the dead of winter or in the fall. But so we know that you can use these techniques in any season. And we're also right. aware that people who are in the Southern hemisphere, their seasons are reversed. <laughs> so, right. Yes. So but they still call it. They like, still call it the same yeah, season. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. that's that's the new book. It, oh, I'm so excited for this. We're in process of it. I'm gathering the chapters. I have okay. probably two thirds of the chapters already. Okay. Um, Deborah Koff Chapin, the one amazing touch drawing artist who lives on Whidbey Island, is okay. contributing images and little kernels of wisdom. She and I have been friends since we were three years old and we were in dance wow. class together. Um, and um, Ken Joka. Um, He's a PhD grief therapist uh -huh. and um, professor. He's going to write the preface okay. for it. He and Bob are the only two men in the book. Everybody okay. else is women. I've got um, Sharon Strauss, the um, oh, I'm sure. traumatic uh, loss therapist yep. who yep. works with collage. I've got Evie Lindemann, who is a Jungian therapist and a death and dying professor. I've got a uh, music thanatologist, Catherine DeLong. I have a somatic therapist here in town. Becky Sternel, uh -huh. and um, a host of others, really wonderful, wonderful people from all different viewpoints, but everyone is contributing creative techniques. So Elizabeth, right. do you I know, add. oh, Elizabeth, do you know what season you're in? Are you writing toward to a season? I didn't write it to a season, uh -huh. but I am a... I think you're in spring. Spring, you're in spring, spring, spring. Awakening. That's very um, fitting for Elizabeth. for season. But what I will say though is uh -huh. the I'm interviewed. Well, I've actually interviewed like 15 different artists. They're not all going to end up in my chapter. But I will say that half of the artists that I profile, half are men and half are women. So we will have, <laughs> have representation. Um, and I want to say too, in in my chapter, I've interviewed Bob Niemeyer, not as the world-renowned bereavement counselor, but rather as a poet. And it's, that's been a lot of fun. And as a bereaved person. As, and as a bereaved yes. person. Excellent. So that is, uh, so how did you come up with this particular concept? 
you know, I wanted to write a book that was collaborative. I, you know, I think that the pandemic, the idea of finding ways to collaborate is so important because I never liked this term social distancing. We've had to have physical distancing, but I want social connection. Yes. So I think that was one way of sort of gathering people that I really admire into a wisdom circle so that we can all share our, our expertise. And um, so that was the idea. How to frame it, I wasn't sure, but when Louise Allen in Kent, England, wrote to me about this life cycle, I thought, oh, mm-hmm. how about let's look through the seasons? And then I called Bob up and said, Bob, I have this idea. Yeah. What do you think of this? And he says, I love this idea. Oh. And then I then I sent an email to my editor and said, do you think this would be a good book? And she said, I think it would be great. And then two weeks later, she said, where's your proposal? I'm having a meeting. Oh. So I sat down. I just sort of wrote her this very rant. Like, you were like, here we go. Let me write it. <laughs> sort yeah. of like this. And these are the people. Who, and then she, then she approved it. Oh, so, okay. So it actually got approved before I put, submitted the final um, right. form, the formal proposal. But as soon as I submitted the proposal, you get this email back that says you'll hear is you'll hear from us in six weeks. I submitted it on a Friday. I had the contract on Monday. Oh my! So this was supposed to happen. Things like yes. this, things in life I've, I'm learning as an as a young adult and parent, when it's supposed to move, it's going to move. Yes. You don't really have exactly. a choice. That's don't amazing. Force it. Oh. So as a grief uh, counselor, though, in pandemic, because um, actually knowing a number of grief counselors, has the pandemic changed the way you counsel? Yeah. Or is it That's the same? a great question. Uh, well, yeah, you know, it certainly changed in that I had to go completely online, and that was very hard for me as a former dancer. I didn't realize how how attuned I was to somebody's body language. Oh. And when I'm looking at somebody from the neck up, I wasn't seeing it, and I was getting so I'll burned out, and I thought it was because of Zoom. Yes. And so I realized what I was doing was I was leaning forward and staring into the camera to try to see if I could, could see, and right. I was like, what am yeah. I doing? My back is tense, and the, the, the client is crying. They have their head in their hands. They're telling their story. They're not even looking at me. They don't need me to be staring at them like that. So I sat back and I relaxed. And I suddenly realized that if I relaxed and I just tuned in intuitively I could pick things up the way that I normally so do, do you sit back from the camera then when you're talking to a client through zoom oh yeah. interesting okay huh. yeah I don't like the the you know from the neck up so yeah. I tried it I tried it like sort of a little bit above the waist up okay yeah yeah um, and and I actually recently and I'm still seeing probably maybe half on zoom still because of course it allows me to see people from farther away and right. it also allows people to do their sessions in the middle of their work day when they don't have to drive to my office so that's a good, oh, that's good. so yes. this last week i saw a couple for the first time and mm-hmm. they preferred to see me on zoom they're not building that far away but and i said to them just make sure that you both sit in a way that i can see both of you Right, so right. that's important. So, um, so when is this book supposed to be out? So yes. the manuscript is due in September, which means that then it goes into a pretty extensive editing process. So I'm not sure if it will come out by the end of the year or the beginning of next year. Ah, okay. okay. Well, okay. guys, so, of course, we will be letting you, you will hear it from us first, <laughs> as yes, soon as absolutely. we know. <laughs> Yes. So we often talk at the uh, at the end of our podcast. We ask uh, our guests if they were to give some, would they give some recommendations to the viewers? Some advice who have lost someone, they're grieving. Um, what are you know, they want to add? Some they want to be able to process their grief, and probably if they're listening to this podcast, they're at least thinking of it in some sort of artistic way. Mm-hmm. What might be a step or two you might recommend to people besides journaling? Because we know right. you like journaling. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I would actually first and foremost say 
allow yourself to feel mm. titrated if it's if it's overwhelming. Okay. Um, sort of dose your feel. You know, if you if you feel if you're worried that you're um, if you're worried that you're going to fall apart, yeah. give yourself a time like a time limit. I'm going to give. I'm going to just go for it for ten minutes, and then I'm going to pick myself up and go take a walk. Okay. So, uh, but but by all means, don't try to suppress your emotions because they'll come back and bite you later. You can you can draw your emotions out. I'll, I'll read you this one Karuna card. Um, that's a really good way to process um, random emotion that's really coursing through your body. Okay. Yes. You don't please. Know where to put. I actually need this for today. So go, please. I'm, I'm all okay. ears. Open your journal to a blank page, or you could also just use a piece of paper. Okay. Have some colored pencils or pastels ready. Close your eyes mm -hmm. and sense your feelings inside your body. Draw the sensation in swirls, lines, marks, or smudges on the page. Don't be concerned with how it looks. Just draw how it feels. So you literally close your eyes and you get in touch with whatever the feeling is inside and you pick yeah. up a color and you just smear it out on the page. I love it. Later, if you want, you can you can look at it. If you see something, you want to enhance it, you can, but you don't have to. But by doing that, what you're doing is you're taking all that energy of emotion that's inside of your body uh -huh. and you're putting it out on the page. Now it's not in your body anymore so much. Okay. So that's a really, really Okay, so I have a technical question. Um, and, and you are a grief counselor, so this is a good person to ask. When you, I really struggle with powering through my emotions and not being in touch with them. And I have a hard time when I do access my emotions, like stopping. Does that make sense? I'm kind of all one or the other. And I think a lot of people yeah. are like that. So with like this that. technique, do you recommend, you know, after you do your, your coloring on the page, you get it out of your body, do you recommend then take a deep breath and like, let's pick ourselves up and go back to our normal. Or, I mean, do you give yourself more buffer time? I yes. really struggle with this. So what's your thoughts? Here's, here's a great thing to do. Take it, take a few deep breaths. Okay. Find a way to just center yourself, be in your body and breathe through your whole body. Mm -hmm. Then recognize that you have just had a really good emotional release. Okay. Give yourself a hug and congratulate yourself for a job well done. Okay. Yeah. And then get up and, and do and something good for yourself before you start to engage in your regular life. Do something good for yourself. Yeah. Take a walk. Make yourself a cup of tea. Sit and drink it. Do something that you know. Smell a, a, an essential oil that's soothing to you. Yeah. Do create a little bit of space, but definitely congratulate yourself on having had a really good emotional release. Right. You know. Okay. I love that. Thank you. Um, this morning I woke up and I have had many dreams of my dad passing, and in all my dreams he's never spoke to me he won't speak to me he sees me and he won't speak to me and it makes me i went through this period for the past few weeks just being very angry like just talk to me i see you you see me and last night or this morning or whenever i woke up this morning i had had a dream and he had finally spoke to me and he didn't say anything i wanted him to say dang it but but he, he spoke, spoke to you. He spoke yeah. to this me. is devastating it's devastating i yeah. i actually you know i told you that my husband died of, of pretty much of overwork yeah um, stress the altitude the altitude in in new mexico didn't help but um and we didn't know that he had he had some heart issues that we didn't know about because he okay. was so young i dreamed over and over again that i would see him and all he wanted was to have his pillow and go to sleep he would turn his back on me in every dream. Uh, he would get under the covers. He would go into another room. He just wanted to go to sleep. And this was devastating to me. It's like, yeah. why am I even bothering dreaming about him when he just wants to go to sleep? And it wasn't until two and a half years later when I went to this 
master's program, yeah. one of the women in my cohort was an intuitive counselor. And she came up to me and she said, Claudia, your father, your husband died, right? And I said, yes. And she said, he was exhausted. Oh. oh. And I went, oh, that's why I'm dreaming that he wants to go to sleep. And once I framed it that way in my mind, I stopped having those dreams. And then I dream, would dream about him and he would smile at me. Oh. oh. And he would engage with me. Because so, you understood uh, his... You know, she was a psychic. I don't know how she knew that. It was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, that's but it was true. Yeah, yeah. What insight? What insight? Amazing. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I did my. I woke up very early, and my husband let me cry, and then, you know, and I I got it all out, but it like totally in my mind was gonna throw off my day. And then, of course, you hear, like, our youngest who's a year cry from the bedroom. And I'm like, oh, he's awake. And then I start crying again because I'm in mom mode, right? And he was like, well, you just take a second and get yourself together. And then everything will be fine. And so I I think I probably did to some degree the emotional release you just explained. And then I did Mm -hmm. take a pause. And I I do feel a little little better, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is that. You might might have to schedule it. Oh. You know. Oh. It can be scheduled. Um, because, because you're, you know, you're pulled in the direction of having to take care of your little kids. Right. So you might need to schedule it and you can do that. Wow. So how do you schedule you, it? You say, okay, I, you know, um, everybody's out of the house um, and I'm going to, I'm going to really express this now. Mm-hmm. So then you do something that stimulates the emotion. Okay. You look at photographs, think about your dad, you know, allow and then wow. start to feel and then just go for it and let it out. Oh, wow. I definitely need to do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's fabulous yeah. advice. That's, and yes. you know what? That advice, I, I hate to say this, is so simple and so obvious once you say it. But right. I would have never, in my cloudy mind right now, I would have never just, wow. Very yeah. Right. I mean, and that's, the, that's really the thing. Simpler is better. And I want to just leave you with one other other thing that I, I tell my clients a lot. Okay. They, have, they feel pulled in many, many different directions. And I give them a little slip of paper that has a quote from Annie Lamont on it. Mm-hmm. And it says this. No is a complete sentence. Oh. Yes. yes. Sometimes we just have to say no. Sometimes yes. we just have to say no. Yes, we need to say no. Yes, right. No. Yes, I love it. And Hallie and I have been practicing that. Right? Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is amazing. And, you know, Claudia, I know we went you know, over time. Yeah, we no, it's, it's okay. A lot in, and um, I think people definitely hang on for it because each sentence is just really helpful uh, and something new. And thank you so, so much thank Claudia, you. for being, being with us today. And I know, so we'll have this episode up and um, we'll have the transcript up and people can really enjoy it. So great. thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Claudia, so much for, for being here. And it's so great for me to, well, you guys aren't watching her on Zoom, but I'm finally seeing her on Zoom face to face. So it's very exciting <laughs> for me to, to um, yeah. So thank you so much for being on the show with us today. We will definitely be linking all of her information on the little description of the podcast. Her website, just in case you're, you know, typing away while I'm talking to you, is thecarunaproject.com. And Karuna is spelled K-A-R-U-N-A. And her name is Claudia Coonan, in case you missed it in the beginning. Um, Thank you again so much, Claudia. Any follow-up questions for us before we sign off? No, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you so we'll have much. back when the book comes out, oh, too. Yes. And yeah, we got plans. We got plans. <laughs> All right. But thank you both. This has been another episode of Out of Grief Comes Art um, by Grief Dialogues. Thanks so much for listening.